0: You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope. We are speeding towards the Combine and Pro Days. The Combine coming up in just a few days. Uh, this past weekend had the last all-star game, the HBCU Legacy Bowl. Great opportunity for these guys to showcase themselves. Our, our guy, Aquil Glass, played in that game, among some other guys. Patrick Mahomes and his foundation were sponsoring. It's a, just a great uh, showcase for these guys. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some potential cap casualties and some tags, as well as our top five teams going into free agency and the draft. But first, let's bring in our guest, college player, very interesting guy. Let's take a listen. He's a linebacker for the Old Dominion Monarchs and pride of Coatesville, PA. He's number three, Jordan Young. Jordan, welcome to Pros Like Us. How you doing? Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing okay. Doing okay. So you're in the midst of training for the Pro Day draft coming up. How has your family influenced your football journey? I know you got a couple of brothers that play at Rutgers. How about the entire family? How they influence you?
1: Mom and dad had a pretty good sports background. Uh, dad had a good career. He uh, was from New Jersey, graduated from there, went to Temple University, ended up being a third round pick before a couple of injuries kind of derailed his career. And he was able to make out with uh, a couple of years in the league. And through that, he kind of just plays his. Uh, expectations and just his hard work and Captain skill is all the lessons he learned into us. Me, a younger brother named Avery Young who's at Rutgers and another younger brother named Aaron Young who's at Rutgers. For us we're just a kind of all around sports family. We play football, basketball, baseball, track growing up, kinda of did a little bit of everything and just it really wasn't a day that went by that we weren't just out playing a sport or just doing something, just using our athletic ability and just kinda of just going out and just having fun. Sports are a big part of our lives and we never wanted it to be like our only thing for us if it's kind of just something that would kind of just got us in the right direction so through that we were able to all get put on full scholarship at at universities and all just had the opportunity to graduate and our dad put that plan into place ever since we were young just how we wanted to see our life go so so getting a degree just getting your master's if you have the opportunity to and then if
0: you had a good enough career pursuing the next level so that's really how sports play a big part of our lives so far. So you said your dad was in the league for a little bit. Who did he play for? Yeah,
1: so my dad was drafted in 1985 in the third round by the Indianapolis Colts. He had a good first rookie year with the Colts for his second year, ultimately having a career-ending neck injury. That's kind of how his story went, but he never, like, dwelled upon that. He never looked back on that, like, damn, it could have been this or that. He kind of just pushed forward and just talked about how everything happens for a reason. God always has a plan, and just kind of filled the lessons with us.
0: Now, is one of your brothers coming out as well?
1: No, he actually made the decision to go back for another year. The program had finished them having the opportunity to finally get a chance to compete in a bowl game, and them not ultimately winning. He just felt like he could go back and he had some unfinished business to handle. And the other brother being there, it's just, it was hard for him to leave him. So he went back for another year. So he'll be back, and somebody for the teams to keep looking out for.
0: All right, so we'll have Alex. Put a little ticker by his name here coming up. Maybe we'll get him on the show. So you played quarterback in high school, and you're a very successful quarterback. How did you get schools to have interest in you as a linebacker?
1: Yes, yeah, so my recruiting process was a little strange. As coaches and things like that would come in and recruit me, they would always say I had to build to be like a, a linebacker or just safety or something like that when I came out of high school, and I had never – actually played any defensive snaps as i was getting like recruited through my junior year just because we i was really like the only team's quarterback we didn't really have like a backup if anything happened so there was really not any choice for you to play and then my senior year came around and ultimately there were certain situations where i needed to play we had guys in our conference that were going like usc and things like that so i was out there trying to cover them and did a pretty good job at that so based off my potential and my size and my intangibles just knew that. We need to make the switch over as was possible. And they, they asked me about it, and I was open to it. So that team's interest just ultimately it came down to some schools just really believing in that potential. Other schools thinking that uh, he really doesn't have enough film, but we don't know how it went. I had a few schools like Old Dominion, uh, University of Massachusetts, who came in later in the picture and really believed in my potential and believed in me and pushed that idea towards me. And I was really open to anything. I knew, for me, if I was ever going to pursue an opportunity at the next level, ultimately, professionally, that it was not going to be a quarterback. I mean, I had a pretty good career and everything, but I just knew that I had a better chance of being a defensive player. So the schools that recruited me as an athlete really piqued my interest a little bit more. Those schools made hard pitches to me, and I took those visits ultimately to the University of Massachusetts and Old Dominion. I came down to those two schools, and I got a better feel from Old Dominion as I was being recruited and the coaching staff that was there. So that's kind of how my process went.
2: So nobody looked at you as a quarterback. Everyone was looking at you as a linebacker or a safety.
1: Oh, no. I had offers at quarterback. Georgia Southern, uh, Temple. I had some FCS schools like Lafayette, uh, Robert Morris, Rhode Island. I had schools that came in and offered me at quarterback. I just knew for me that uh, my end goal of wanting to pursue a professional career that it wasn't going to be at quarterback. The schools that offered me as an athlete or linebacker just – thought that I had the potential to be something more I was more inclined to pick between one of those schools.
2: So Jordan who is the better athlete? Is it you or your two brothers or is it ultimately your dad?
1: <laughs> I'm always gonna bet on myself and say me I mean just all the things I've been able to do we're all a really good athletic and we all push each other to do different things I mean we're all striving to reach my dad's level so ultimately it's probably my dad's but like I said, we're all trying to get to his level and reach the, the stats that he's been at. So my dad right now, just so that we have somebody to chase and we're always just motivating and pushing each other to be better.
2: So what was it about Old Dominion that stuck out to you? I mean, what was it about the school that you had a good feeling about that you said, hey, this is the school for me? When
1: I took my official visit, I got a good feel from the players and the locker room and just the family feel and just the culture that they had. When you get recruited, my dad's always told us it's not really about the coaches because coaches, as you've seen throughout the years, they come and go, and there's, there's so much turnover and change that you can't really make your decision based on the coaches. So I started building strong relationships with some of the players I came down and visit. Ultimately, I felt like them being a newer program, it's something that the school that I could come into and kind of establish my name in the record books and try and build history for other people to chase and build records and things like that instead of me going into a program and just trying to chase a whole bunch of people. I felt like I could help set the standards, set the culture for the future of Old Dominion football. Ultimately, I did that throughout my career.
2: What are you going to miss the most about Old Dominion as you look back on your career? These past couple
1: months, I've been looking back on it, and I really just, you miss that, that camaraderie and that brotherhood and that being in that locker room with all those guys and everything, all that blood, sweat, and tears that you put into the off season and everything that you build up leading into the season, that's what I've probably been missing the most so far. So, we've got a good group of guys out here that I've connected with, but it's really that. And just being in front of Monarch Nation and playing in that SG Ballard Stadium, it's a feeling that it's just something you got to be there to, to feel and all that energy that the community brings into the game and how they really support us and we're doing good things for them. It's going to be something I miss.
0: All right, so looking back at 2019, it was kind of a rough season. You guys win the first game and then lost 11 straight. What lessons did you take from that season?
1: Definitely probably one of the hardest things I've had to do throughout my career so far, but it was really just about if everybody's not really bought in, that you can't really accomplish anything. If every single person in your locker room or your team is not bought into the philosophies that the coaches are trying to instill, there's any back and forth, or just anybody thinking that, Uh, This is not going to work. It's just doubting things like that. You can't have those thoughts on a team if you want to be successful. moving forward into the future season, that was really something I saw when when guys really bought into team philosophies and just really gave it their all for everything. That when you have successful teams, successful culture gets built and guys really want to be bought in and play for the program.
0: Can you think of a specific situation where maybe you kind of, imposed your will or showed some leadership skills and said, hey, you know, here's what we need to do.
1: It was honestly probably after that 2019 season ended and we had our team meetings, and then our exit meetings, and guys were having thoughts about to transfer because of this or that, how the season went. And you really had to go in there and sit down with the guys and say that if we want to be the team that we believe we are with all the talent that we have in this room, that we have to make sure everybody's bought in. Anybody who's not bought in, we have to either get those guys to commit to us and try and change their minds, or we gotta get them out of here. We can't have any guys that are trying to do their own thing and just trying to run their own race. We have to get those guys out of here or else we're gonna have the same results. Whenever we were able to do that and establish that, we saw the culture shift.
0: So you have this terrible taste in your mouth from 2019 2020 comes along, COVID, every game gets canceled. Same question. What Was there any lessons that were learned during that time frame?
1: That time was really just about us finding out who we wanted to be. I mean, when you go through that much turmoil, after probably bringing in 50 to 60 new guys on the team, we're really just trying to figure out who's who, who can do what. And all throughout that, you're just trying to, Use the lessons that you learned throughout the past season because I was one of probably 20 guys that had went through the 2019 season and try and not let those guys' mindset shift and change back to what they had heard about the program when they came in and everybody else around them was telling them. Was trying to teach them to block out the outside noise and show them that if we lock in, buy in, and focus and give 100% of our effort to what these coaches are explaining to us that they want us to do and how they want us
0: to do it, we can build something special. And that's what we did. So, you continue along and you're having a, a great career. You mentioned starting a legacy, new, you know, Monarch Nation, Old Dominion football. You broke the record, the all time tackles leader at Old Dominion. Can you describe, I guess, the circumstances around the play when you actually broke the record?
1: To be honest, I didn't really know which play it was because I thought it happened to play earlier, but it kind of told me afterwards that this is the play I happened on. So, it was a Third and one, going into the, they were driving into the Terry, driving the ball down, and we kind of just needed a big play to kind of just slow down the momentum early in the first half in the, in the bull game. And third and one, they, they've they been driving down the field. It's a long drive, and just, we get in the huddle. We've been practicing what they're going to do all week. We had known what they were going to do on third or fourth and one in short-distance situations, and our defensive coordinator caught up the same exact pressure that we had to run all week. We had one pressure designed for that particular formation and what's set once you knew what was coming and i kind of had to rush to get some of our guys lined up as soon as i saw them they had a motion of tight end over whatever it was i just i knew exactly what the play was coming so the ball was snapped i went shot my gap made a huge stop for no gain. and once i got the silent they told me i was the player that had broke the record so it was just surreal honestly because from the end of my first season when i had a pretty good first year that i made all freshman team the person who was the leading tackler at that time was GA for us. That was his last season of the GA, and he had told me at that time that he wanted me to go out and break the record. So it just meant a lot for me because that was a guy that had been working with me throughout the first year I was there and really just pushed me into. He's the first person to really see how special I could be and just if I just worked and just prepared and did everything the right way.
2: Jordan, Old Dominion obviously isn't known as a big powerhouse as a football school. Your most Famous alum, I would say football alum, is Taylor Heineke. And he's kind of mm. come to the forefront the last couple of years, right? He's been with Washington and then with some other teams before that. Is it tough to get noticed at a school like Old Dominion?
1: I gonna say it's tough since we were such a, a new program. It, just, it, was, it was a new territory for us. I mean, when we had guys that really went out there and made their mark, it meant a lot more for us when they came back and showed their support and just showed their faith around the program. And when we see guys out there getting recognition, you really see that the whole Old Dominion community, whether it was people that graduated 40 years ago or people that graduated within the past five years, it's a big family and all the alumni come out and support. And for us, when we see those guys having success and this level, it makes it seem more real for us that, that we have an opportunity that we could do something special if we really... Just put the work in, put the time in, and dedicate ourselves to our craft. And uh, when we see those guys on TV
0: and on the next stage, it just motivates us a little bit more. There's a term floating around, positionless defense. I think it started out like as a, as a basketball term, more of a just positionless basketball. Everybody about the same size, same skill set. Uh, what's your take on that moving into football from a defensive standpoint? When you say positionless,
1: listen, if there's a guy like that, I mean, I just feel like it makes you more versatile. The more teams you can sit in, more positions you can play, it just makes you that more useful. You can't have enough of those guys on the team, and those guys that can play all over the field, play different positions, it just makes your defense a lot more versatile, a lot more dangerous.
2: Since the season ended, did you get a chance to go to any All-Star games out there?
1: Uh, I did not participate in any All-Star games. I had an invite to the the C G S college ground showcase the ultimate I made this is not to go. I kinda of just wanted to get back into my training and just kinda of get focused on that. I mean, I felt like I had a lot of good tape out there. I mean the tape I feel like ultimately speaks for itself, even though those all star games are good things to get in front of scouts and get to sit down with them. I just felt like the opportunities that I had, uh I felt like I was better just going to train and just start preparing. I had a lot of good film out there. I had scouts that came in and had talked or talked to my coaches, and they had reiterated different things for them. I I was ready to just kind of get to work and just start perfecting those things that they want to see on pro day.
2: Jordan, when is the big day? When is the pro day? Our pro day is March 25th. What have you been working on the most during your training? I mean, what have you improved on since the season ended?
1: Ultimately, I'm just, like I said, trying to transform my body and just make that transition into that. Like, when scouts see you, I like they get that first impression that, okay, this is the, this is the guy right here. And then just working on my explosion and my athleticism things like that, just trying to make a great impact on a lot of teams' minds, like the moment I step into the room on Pro day.
2: How many pounds have you put on since the season ended? I actually haven't gained any weight. I'm sitting
1: right at 230 still, but it's just about trying to build that muscle and just lean out and just get that NFL-caliber linebacker frame that's what I've been working on.
0: I haven't looked at before after pictures yet. I feel like I've made a lot of good progress so far. So based on where you are now, give us a scouting report for Jordan Young.
1: Jordan Young, my mind would be a, he's a smart linebacker that you could ask to do a lot of things. I'm versatile. I play inside, outside. I've been in three different schemes with three different coaches throughout my couple of years at Old Dominion. And I feel like I've seen a lot of things. I mean, Ultimately, a lot of scouts want to see him how athletic he actually is, how that translates to the next level. But I feel like he's a smart, instinctive guy that plays physical, plays downhill, does what you ask him to do. So we want to see how athletic and how, how that translates to the next level.
2: Obviously, you watch a lot of film. You watch a lot of linebackers on Sunday. What do you think is the most important trait for a successful linebacker?
1: Ultimately, it's probably more on the mental side. How he prepares and studies, so that when he gets into this game, it's kind of instinctive, a second nature. He doesn't really have to think for himself that he can play fast, play physical, and just also be able to fly around and make plays. You know, another thing is uh, his motor. How he's if he's always around, if he's a high motor player. That's that's what our defense corner always say. He's always gonna be a high motor player because those are the guys that reckon recognized the film, flying to the ball. He's always around. He's, you're always seeing him. And that's that's one of the guys I feel like a linebacker needs a high motor player that's kind of everywhere and just. Like I said, it doesn't waste steps. doesn't waste time. It's just direct to the point. It does what you have to do.
2: Are you a film junkie?
1: I am. Being able, that COVID year actually helped me because it actually loved, allowed me to develop my film habits a lot more. And then being a six-year player, you get a lot more time than to be able to watch film because you're not in as many classes. So I spent a lot of my time in the film room, sitting down with our coaches and just kind of breaking down whatever I could to give myself that edge and that advantage on Saturdays
2: what advice has your father given you since he did play in the nfl for a couple of years now you're training for this big pro day and trying to chase this dream what has he uh, given you Uh, what advice
1: his advice really has been that during this time you really have to give it your all you really have to to lock in and be committed to the grind committed to all the work that these people are asking you to do because ultimately it's your goal that you're chasing and you have to give it a hundred percent, whatever you do. So whenever he calls down, he's, he tells me he's proud of me. He's proud of how far I've come, but you still have a long ways to go. So you always have
0: to be thinking that you can get better. You can always improve. There's no, no complacency. Jordan, I was reading, I don't know if it was an article or something on the internet saying that maybe you had a connection with uh, Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles. Is that uh, something that you've known them for a while?
1: my dad was at Temple, Todd Bowles was his roommate, and he had played a season under Bruce Arians when he had first got to Temple. We call him Uncle Todd, and then Bruce Arians is just the guy that, that my dad can always check in with, always talk to. So those are guys that he has been, like, mentioning ever since we were young. Like, I can remember him talking on the phone with them, just him telling us to come by and say hello when he's on the phone just to kind of build those relationships. Those are guys that, that my dad's good friends with, He's had lessons that they shared with him that he's been able to pass down with us,
0: those stories and things that we've been able to talk about throughout the years. Well, I would imagine if uh, Uncle Todd stays in Tampa, there's at least one coach that'll know about your background and be pretty (laughs) happy with it. You were talking about education, too, and we're going to let you go here in a minute, but I thought it was interesting. You already have your degree in sports management, and you're working towards a master's. Do you have some ideas, I guess, moving forward, how you're going to use that?
1: Yeah, so I, I did end up finishing my master's this past December. Oh, We're okay, congratulations. Thank you. They had a graduation ceremony for us. But in the long run, I'm still trying to decide what I want to do. My dad always told us to have that that plan B because football doesn't last forever. So that's always something we've been thinking about. He used to always ask us, what do you want to do? Our answer could never be NFL or Pro athlete or whatever. It always has to be something different. So for me I kinda of wanted to get into like the more of the managerial side of sports and whether it be football or basketball. I'm big on basketball. I, I love watching basketball. So I could work front office football or basketball, I would I would have no problems with that. I doesn't have to be front office, it. it could be anything. I just wanted to make sure I stayed in sports because it's been such a big part of my life so far and it's got me to where I wanted to be in life and allowed me to learn so many lessons and just meet so many different people and build so many different relationships that I want to make sure I stayed in sports. So ultimately I want to be in like a managerial position in, in a sports franchise.
0: All right. Very good. Well, we appreciate you taking the time, Jordan. Good luck in your preparation here, coming up for your pro day, the draft after that. Here's your opportunity. If you'd like to plug your social media handles or anything else you want to plug, the floor's yours.
1: All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I mean, on Twitter. You can find me at AJY underscore zero three. On Instagram, AJY underscore three. I mean, I keep it pretty simple. I, I don't have much going on. I just force-related content. I am mean, just, like I said, I'm just anybody looking for opportunities. I'm, I'm just ready to work, compete, and
0: just give them all. Thanks again to Jordan Young, linebacker from the Old Dominion uh, Monarchs. His hometown, Coatesville, PA, also hometown of basketball legend Rip Hamilton. So for some of you basketball fans out there, you can kind of take a look at that. Potential cuts coming. The tag day has come. Uh, No one's been tagged yet, but I know Alex and I, we've talked about uh, a couple potential guys. Obviously, Carson Wentz, Jimmy G, I think are going to be on the move. But uh, also some big names. I mean, we saw Anthony Hitchens get cut by the Chiefs. Uh, some cap savings there. Uh, leader, so it wasn't an easy one to make. But, uh, hey, you got to do what you got to do when you're paying that quarterback. So, another Chief right at the top, Frank Clark. What do you think, Alex? I mean, this has got to be, at very least, a restructure. He's got a couple years left. But the production is down. Uh, like I said, they got to pay their quarterback now. I don't know.
2: They got to get rid of him. That was probably one of the biggest disappointing signings for the Chiefs and and that organization as a whole. Because, I mean, Frank Clark hasn't produced the last couple of years. He's gotten in trouble. He's owed a lot of money in 2022 and 2023. I just can't imagine like the Chiefs eating that salary and continuing to pay him. So I think he's a goner.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly think they're going to attack the defensive line this off season the way they attacked the offensive line last year. Now, again, there is some dead money. This might be one where they make it a post-June 1 cut. Some, that's going to help them a little bit with the dead money. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he had a great playoff run the year they won the Super Bowl. But other than that, it's been up and down and just uh, not enough to to really keep him around at this number. Wide receiver that, you know, could be a little bit of a surprise, but maybe not so much. Uh, no more guaranteed money left on his deal. It is the Cowboys and uh, somebody that Jerry traded for. But Amari Cooper, $16 million cap savings would be. Little dead money left, $6 million, But like I said, no more guaranteed money left. So got some younger wide receivers there that they might want to deal with. You know, Michael Gallup. Coming off the knee. I don't know. I mean, I, but I think Amari certainly, you know, his name is going to be thrown out there.
2: They got to get rid of Amari Cooper. He's a good wide receiver, but for the salary he makes, to me, he's not a number one guy. Never has been. He's more of a number two. I think he will be a great signing for another team with the star wide receiver. I always feel like CeeDee Lamb is ready to take on that role. To become that number one guy. I mean that's the reason why the Cowboys drafted him in the first round. I also would throw in Ezekiel Elliott there Lou. Because the Cowboys just rode that horse. Like the first three years that he was there. That he was drafted fourth overall. And he had like 300 carries in the first three years. And they just continued to use him. I realize that he's only 26 years old. Jerry Jones gave him a huge salary. But Zeke just hasn't been the same player the last couple of years. I know that he gained over a 1,000 yards this year. He scored like 10 touchdowns. But every time I see Tony Pollard touch the ball, he's doing something big for the team. He's making those huge plays. I mean, he's kind of energizing that offense. And to me, I believe that you can find the running back, you know, in the middle rounds on day three. And you can get the same type of production that Ezekiel Elliott, right now is is producing for the Cowboys. So to me, keep Pollard, bring a rookie guy in, you'll save a lot of money, and you'll still get the same production, that one-two punch. I think Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper are, are going to be gone.
0: That might be a restructure because I think cutting him just gives the at least in the first year like zero cap savings. But I think it goes to I think more of an overall flavor of the league and it's been out there for the last 10 years or so where you know the analytics come in and say, hey, like you said, you can get that production paying a lot less money or maybe not quite the production, but you can get close. You know, The return on investment is much greater because you don't have to pay him as much. Tony Pollard makes less than a million dollars a year. And I think he's on the last year of his deal going in this year, so you might see him get a raise. But Zeke, that's either restructure. If he refuses, then, yeah, I think he might be gone too. Just, again, there's more and more evidence out there. You pay big money to your running back. And I don't know if it's coincidence or what have you. Uh, maybe it's usage, but Dalvin Cook, McCaffrey, uh, a lot of these guys get big money. Zeke. And, you know, again, the return isn't there once you pay him the big money. Next guy up, Zadarius Smith. Big-time pass rusher for the Packers, but you know he didn't play much this year. I think he only played one game, but he's very effective when he is in there. But he's got a $15 million cap savings if you let him go. Would be a 12.4 cap charge, but with the whole Rodgers, Devontae Adams, their whole cap structure, I think, is, is based around those two guys. What's going to happen? right? They have restructured a few guys, but it's not nearly enough at this point. So maybe Zadarius Smith is another one that, hey, you know, go test the waters.
2: I just can't see how he's going to come back. I mean, he's been an effective guy with the Green Bay Packers ever since they signed him, but his defensive coordinator just moved on to the Minnesota Vikings. And I think he'll be willing to kind of Bring Zadarius Smith along and make him his pass rusher. I think Zedarius Smith is going to play you know, the Green Bay Packers twice a year in the next couple of years. I think he's going to find his new home in the Twin City.
0: One guy that might be, at least his situation, screams out the loudest is another Cleveland wide receiver, and uh, Juice Landry. $14.9 million cap savings. The dead money would only be $1.5 million. Looks like they're going to overhaul that entire wide receiver core. Obviously, Jarvis seeing what his buddy OBJ did with the LA Rams, going into a, a less toxic situation. Just the whole aura there with that offense. I still don't think they really know what they want to be. They invested so much in the pass receivers, but the strength of their team is the offensive line and the running backs. You know, the quarterback has proven to be not somebody you want to chuck in the ball 40 times a game. So I could see Jarvis, one, wanting to go, and it certainly would be uh, cost effective for the Browns to let him go. So I think that's another one that's uh, certainly seen his last days on his current team.
2: It's a no-brainer to me. I mean, when you can save $15 million and improve your roster elsewhere and possibly bring in some wide receivers through the draft, I mean, you get younger. Obviously, you got rid of OBJ, and I think Jarvis Landry is the next one to go. He didn't talk to the media ever since OBJ was released, and you know he had 52 receptions in 2021. That's a career low for him by a considerable margin. So I can't imagine like Stefanski in that front office bringing him back.
0: Yeah, a ton of targets like his, his entire career. I mean, even Miami playing with Tannehill and some substandard quarterbacks, obviously it didn't really raise the level much going to Cleveland, but he was still able to produce. So yeah, some contending team is going to find themselves a gem in a guy that maybe some of the league thinks is washed up much as they did OBJ. And by the way, he's a Super Bowl champion, but, you know, again, dealing with an injury. In Seattle, we don't know, you know, are they, you know, in a rebuild? They've extended their coach. There's still always a lot of smoke and mirror, whatever you want to call it, a, a lot of inconsistencies as far as the statements and the idea of Russell Wilson staying around. So if you do go towards a rebuild, then... Bobby Wagner becomes a name that certainly is going to save you a lot of money. $16.6 million cap savings, letting him go. The dead money would only be $3.75 million. Again, this would be, I guess, be going to another contending team. You know, you're not going to bring him in so much to a young team unless he sends a short-term deal and can kind of help change the culture. But as far as Seattle is concerned, if you're certainly going into a rebuild, this is a name they have to consider.
2: They have to consider it, but I just can't imagine like them moving on from Bobby Wagner. I mean, this guy had 170 total tackles last year. I mean, his play hasn't slipped by any means. I mean, he's the heart and soul of that defense. I can't imagine, like... John Schneider and you know Pete Carroll saying goodbye to Bobby Wagner. I think Chris Carson is a guy that's gonna go. I think they can save like you know 3.4 million if they cut him. He obviously, he's always been injury prone. They found something in Rashad Penny at the end of last year. If he can stay healthy, you know that the Seahawks haven't had like a true number one running back since the Marshawn Lynch days. They've always had that running back by committee. Two, three guys. I mean, that seems to be the the trend that they're going after. I'm going to say no. I think they keep Bobby Wagner just because they need to just have that centerpiece of that defense. And I think they're going to get rid of somebody like Carson.
0: Yeah, again, I don't think it would come down to, you know, his play. Obviously, you know, his play is still at a stellar level. It would just, again, be that contingency of the rebuild and just the fact that that number is so much larger than, say, you know, Chris Carson. And obviously, it's a much easier position to fill, the running back position. Bobby Wagner's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. So, uh, yeah, that remains to be seen. Let's see what happens with Russ uh, another name that looks like uh, might be going bye-bye was a Matt Patricia guy in Detroit, Trey Flowers. Obviously, the the injury part of it, the lack of production, uh, the change in regime, all points to him moving on. I mean, they're going to have to eat some money for the year, or actually the next two years, but certainly would be a $10 million cap savings this year. Again, are looking to bring in younger talent better return on investment once again, I think Trey Flowers uh, might be on his way out.
2: Well, they signed him to that huge deal, Matt Patricia did, and in 2019, it paid off. I mean, he had a great year, and then the last couple of years, I mean, his play has slipped, he's been injury-prone, he's had, like, a total of 19 total quarterback pressures. I mean, Detroit is still, like, a couple of years away, and by cutting Flowers, I mean, the Lions can and save space, you know, on their cap. So I'm going to say, yeah, he's he's a goner.
0: We're being really kind to Detroit. They're a couple of years from being a couple of years away. But again, you know, Dan Campbell, say what you will, He's I think he's energized the program. They certainly, you know, play hard. So, you know, hopefully they get the quarterback settled. That if it's Goff, okay, let's go with him. Or you know, bring in a younger guy and get him molded and, and get him playing good football. I mean, obviously, they're going to run the ball. I think they're going to be a run-centric team. That was a lot to pay for Trey Flowers, and that was just to chalk it up to the previous regime. And let's move on. Landon Collins in Washington was moved to linebacker. Good soldier. Obviously, he did what, what the team wanted him to do. But I think in his mind, he's a safety and wants to play there. I don't know that he quite fits there on this team. Got three years left on his deal. Would be a six and a half million dollar cap savings. Again, this is going to be contingent on what they do at quarterback. You know, are they going to bring somebody in? You would think they are. Again, you know, Landon Collins. Are his best days behind him? Can he still play safety in this league? Big questions, and again, as far as the money's concerned, I don't know that you want to sit there and pay a guy like that to see, hey, can he become a linebacker? Does he want to become a full-time linebacker?
2: You know, Landon Collins isn't owed like any salary guarantees on his current deal that he signed in 2019. So his play definitely slipped. I mean, say what you want, moving to linebacker or not, I mean, his coverage grade was horrible. I mean, it was like the lowest since his rookie season in 2015. Washington needs to focus and just allocate all their resources to, you know, acquiring a franchise quarterback and, and more receiving weapons. I think that's the way they got to go. Another guy that I think is a definite cap casualty here.
0: Okay, last one. And again, this is probably going to be due to the previous regime and overpaying. James Bradbury's play has fallen completely off. Uh, at the New York Giants gave up eight TDs this year over a hundred passer rating I don't know if it's, it was a scheme thing I don't know if it was injury but again huge number Uh, new regime uh, Shane comes in there from Buffalo new coach Brian Dable probably a new defense so I think uh, that's another name you're going to see kind of slip onto the waiver wire sometime soon.
2: Did Dave Gettleman do anything right as a GM of the New York Giants in those three years that he ran the wow. team?
0: Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Saquon Barkley, you know, it, it's hard because of the injuries and everything else. You know, and they're going to have to answer a huge question. Are they going to pay him? And I can't see them. Again, we talked about these backs once they get the big money, and, and he already has been injury prone. The best of Saquon is dynamite. And you can say that about each of these other guys, Dalvin, McCaffrey, Zeke. Again, the production, the consistency, all the hits they're taking, is it worth the money? So that's the closest one, I think. But every other move, it just seems, no, 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 I'm going to say no.
2: Well, I mean, let's be honest here. Even Marshall Falk, the great Marshall Falk, was traded from the Colts to the Rams, and he was the number two overall pick at one oh, time. Yeah. And he's a sure. much better player than Saquon Barkley ever yeah. will be, in my opinion. I think you trade Saquon when you can get some value for him before he just you know, completely goes off the rails with his durability concerns. You drafted Daniel Jones— I mean, that hasn't worked out. I hope Dable can save his career, but right now that hasn't worked out. They tried to be desperate and sign Kenny Galladay, and that didn't work. And then he didn't fix the offensive line. I think the best thing that he did was maybe bring in some guys this year that from this past draft that were able to contribute, like B.J. Ojolari... You know, the pass rusher, I mean, he showed some promise as a rookie. So I think that defense, I mean, he did some things. And then he signed Bradbury. I mean, he tried to bring in those guys from the Carolina Panthers that he knew. And that didn't work out. I don't know. I mean, we talk about, you know, some guys never getting that second chance as head coaches, yet GMs, they keep getting like second, third chances. I mean, what has Dave Gettleman done in this league? Tell me, please.
0: All right, well, let's see what uh, what Joe Shane could do. I'm sure it's going to be a little bit different story there in the Big Apple. Uh, we've got some tags, uh, some obvious ones. I think we don't have to go too deep into these. I mean, Jesse Bates, I think, is obvious. Devontae Adams, for sure. You know, if they can't work out a long-term deal here in the next uh, week or whatever, whatever it is. Orlando Brown Jr., I think with the Chiefs, they've got no no other recourse. I mean, obviously they made a trade for him. He played fairly well. I mean, he did make the Pro Bowl. I'm sure you'll see that one. The interesting one that that I'm looking at right now is Harold Landry with uh, the Tennessee Titans they kind of overpaid for Bud Dupree, at least so far, you know, hopefully, you know, knock on wood for them, he'll return to form, so to speak, you know, a year, now two years removed from an injury, but Harold Landry, what do you think? Is this somebody that you can pay that elite money to as a pass rusher?
2: I would have a tough time with that, just because me, he had his career year this year, he had like 12 sacks, and And before that, his previous high was nine sacks a couple of years back. I'm going to say there's no way I can pay Harold Landry just because I always worry about those guys that break out in their contract year. I would let him go. I mean, he's had some durability concerns before. Do you actually believe that in his fourth year, all of a sudden, he's turned the corner and he's become this elite pass rusher? I don't think so. I think this is fool's gold, and I think Harold Landry will go back to being the same player that we've seen in previous years.
0: Another one that would seem like a slam dunk, but, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, just New England, whatever they do, one way or the other just always seems like a surprise. You know, all the money they spent last year seems like, you know, that was like out of left field. You know, sometimes they'll get rid of a guy and you say, wow, I mean, he's still a good player and so forth. But I think in those cases, they tend to get somebody for him. But here you're sitting, J.C. Jackson, who is probably you know regarded as one of the top you know 3 or 4 corners in the league now and he's kind of made himself into that wasn't drafted just a tremendous story this is a weird one to handicap you know what what do the patriots do you would think at very least they franchise him for a year see how he plays and then you know maybe move on or try to trade him i'm very intrigued by what happens with jc jackson because there'll be no shortage of suitors if he did come to the market
2: All right, the Patriots never pay anybody, right? But there's one thing, there's one position that Belichick values more than any other position out there. It's cornerback. It's always been that way. Ty Law, Stephon Gilmore, now J.C. Jackson. You got rid of Stephon Gilmore. J.C. Jackson is the number one corner on that team. I don't think Belichick is crazy enough to trade him. I don't think he's crazy enough not to pay him. I think he will. Maybe at first it will be on a franchise tag, but then they'll pay him. There's no way they can get rid of him because they don't have anyone else to kind of take over for him. So I'm sure they'll look for some other guys through the draft or, you know, as undrafted free agents, but it'll take time to develop that guy the way they developed J.C. Jackson. I don't think the Patriots get rid of him this offseason. I think they will actually extend him.
0: All right. And a couple of wide receivers that are kind of intriguing, one because of injury and another one, because of just, I guess it's just unique skill set coming off an injury is Chris Godwin with Tampa Bay. Are they going to pay big money, you know, for another wide receiver? They showed obviously they they wanted him. They gave him the franchise tag last year. Are they going to double up even though he's injured? Uh, Mike Williams with the Chargers really has has been coming on. Had some injury issues early in his career. Are they going to pony up uh, to make him one of the highest paid wide receivers in the league? Do they go the franchise tag route and let it play out? I think they might go that way this year with Mike Williams, Chris Godwin, I'm not so sure because of the injury, because you know you've got Mike Evans there, you don't have Brady anymore. I think part of the reason they kept all those weapons, because they had such a good quarterback, which is almost sounds counterintuitive. Wouldn't you want like a lesser quarterback having more weapons? But I think maybe they may change the way they play a little bit given not-so-experienced quarterback. I'm going to say yes on Williams, Godwin, no.
2: I'm going to say no on both guys just because, look, the the number one wide receiver for the Chargers is Keenan Allen. And I just think Mike Williams is a nice player, but he's also been injury-prone. He has had a lot of durability concerns since he's been in the league. There's no way you can give that much money to him. I think you let him walk and then you draft the guy you know, on day two. I mean, the Chargers have had some luck with that. I'm also going to say a no on Chris Godwin just because I think the Bucks need to address the quarterback position. I think they need to bring in some more weapons on some other positions out there. They have Mike Evans, and then they have those young guys, you know, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson. I think there's no question about it that I think the Bucks will draft another guy, you know, like, say, day two or maybe early day three. I know Bruce Arians loves the wide receiver position. Obviously, Antonio Brown has moved on. I think they'll move on from Chris Godwin as well. Obviously, Mike Evans is tied up with that salary. I think the Bucs will get younger there.
0: All right, so we're about a week away from the deadline for those tags. A couple of weeks away from the beginning of the league year. So these are obviously developing stories and names will continue to come up and we'll discuss them in the coming weeks. But uh, before we get out of here, the top five teams we're looking at as it stands now, post-Super Bowl. uh, We'll probably do this exercise again once free agency passes in the draft. But as it stands right now, you got to put the Rams right at the top. Obviously, they won the Super Bowl, went through the gauntlet of the playoffs, and were able to get it done. I've got as my number two team and probably might be the best overall roster as it stands right now is the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I've got the Chiefs at number three. You know, as long as Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill are healthy and the offensive line continues to get better, they're always going to be in the mix. Uh, At number four, again, given that technically Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams will return, I'll put them at number four. If they do move on. I still like the San Francisco 49ers, the way they're structured. And I believe in Trey Lance that they are going to make some noise next year. And then number five, I would have the Bengals just because of what they were able to accomplish this year. I believe that they will continue to build their offensive line. They obviously absolutely have to. The defense is coming on. Jesse Bates, I think that guy is going to be retained. So uh, those are my five. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think my list is fairly similar to yours. I've got also the Rams at number one. I do have the Chiefs at two. I have the Buffalo Bills at three. I have the Green Bay Packers at four if Aaron Rodgers comes back. If he doesn't, there's no way I have the Packers in the top five. At number five, I think the Bengals will take a step back this year. And I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys, so I. Wrestled with this, I I was thinking maybe the Cowboys or the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray, but there was some trouble brewing out there and in the desert. So I'm going to go with the Cowboys just because they've got the the offensive line, they've got one of the best quarterbacks in the game, and Dak Prescott. They've got Ceedee Lamb. They retained, you know, both coordinators, kept Dan Quinn, and we know what he did with that defense just overall. They've got Micah Parsons, they've got Trayvon Diggs, they've got Demarcus Lawrence. I mean, they're loaded, like, everywhere on defense. I can't imagine that that defense is going to slip somehow, especially with, again, Quinn coming back. I think the defense is going to carry the day, and then the offense, you know, will kind of catch up. I think Dak is going to do just fine, and and even if they move on from Zeke and Amari Cooper, they'll find some weapons at the running back position. So I'm going to go with the Cowboys here at 5.
0: Well, they're certainly talented enough. You know, hopefully, you know, for their sake and their fans' sake, that uh, one of these years they will prove, I guess, the pundits' right because it seems like every year it's like, oh yeah, this team is ultra talented. This is going to be their year, and somehow, some way, things kind of go awry. They do have some work to do with with the defense, as far as you know, retaining some players, and I'm sure they'll make. You know, the proper decisions they've done very well, you know, in the draft lately. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they, they could certainly be a top five team. So, that is going to do it for us this week. Thanks again to our guest, Jordan Young, linebacker from Old Dominion. Hope to see him in the draft, and if not, to uh, catch on with the team. I think he's a very interesting story, as you just heard. Go ahead and subscribe. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. I mean, obviously, we're interviewing players more and more each week. Uh, leading up to the draft and the Combine. So uh, go ahead and subscribe so you won't miss anything. For Alex, I'm Lou. Peace!